Hello everybody and welcome to our weekly news show here on the channel. It is oftentimes on Mondays. Today it's on a Wednesday because that's just how the workflow and the schedule and everything worked out. So, you know, let's just kind of keep it unpredictable. Let's mix it up here. We have a lot to get to today. We're going to do a strike update. We're going to do the first edition of Ask Dan. But I want to start with kind of the main story for this week. And it involves what I like to call scoop culture. And scoops is something that I've done before. Before, and you're going to hear about it uh, in the process of doing this story. And the term scoop has been around for a very long time, over a century, and it usually referred to, before the dawn of the internet, your traditional media sources, TV networks, newspapers, etc. A scoop was basically the product of journalists working hard to get information that other competitors didn't have. It was an exclusive story. You'd say that you got scooped by another paper. Probably the most consequential scoop of all time would be the reporting on Watergate that was done by Woodward and Bernstein at the Washington Post. The rise of digital media accelerated the necessity for scoops because now all of a sudden the traditional media outlets were competing with websites like TMZ who had different standards and different ways to gather news. And then that was accelerated even more when those outlets were then competing with social media and anybody with a Twitter account and a cousin who worked in Hollywood. So now we have this hyper-competitive environment where everybody's trying to get the information first. And the idea of a scoop versus a leak versus a rumor, they've all just kind of become a gelatin that all of the different media outlets pull from in an effort to stay competitive with each other. This competition is true across all types of media, but it has become particularly acute in the movie space because movie scoops and plot leaks and stuff have always been very popular, but usually they were what you would read on a message board. You know, I remember reading things on like the OneRing.net or Ain't It Cool News back in the early 2000s. Now with the rise of Marvel and DC and the revival of Star Wars and everything else, there are so many more people that are wanting to know what that information is going going to be, and the lines have started to blur between what is a spoiler and what is a scoop. It's an atmosphere that's really been on the rise for the last decade or so, really, and it's something that led me to, many years ago, creating a character for a show that we did back on Screen Junkies called Flickbait, where everybody had to come up with their own segment every week, and so one week I decided to invent a character called uh, Scoops McGee. As a matter of fact, this is uh, Scoops' hat, which I still have. And uh, Scoops McGee was, I mean, the character of Scoops was a parody of like an old-timey 1940s news reporter. It was purely comedy. Scoop number one, Ben Affleck bags Bat Brother. Mmm. <laughs> So the character was crazy and over the top, but there was a kernel of truth in there because it was based on this idea of pushing insane insider information that perhaps was gotten from questionable sources as these big Hollywood sensational scoops. And of course, none of them in the comedy bit were true because they were so ridiculous. But honestly, a lot of the stuff that was being printed at the time and still is also wasn't true. You just ran with it because you said you got it from an insider and that was good enough to publish. So while it was kind of a crazy over-the-top thing, there was this kernel of truth to it, and we're going to loop back 
back to that later because that plays into the latest development in the story in a very big way. Scoop fever really reached a high in the lead up to 2021 Spider-Man No Way Home. Rumors began circulating in fall 2019 of a Spider-Man team-up movie. Then in early 2020, reports began emerging that Andrew Garfield was maybe in talks to return, although it should also be noted that those same reports said that Garfield's Spider-Man would be bisexual and have a boyfriend. Remember, not all scoops turn out to be true. By the spring and summer of 2020, as everybody was locked in their houses due to the pandemic, reports were were flying all across the internet that Andrew Garfield was coming back, that Tobey Maguire was coming back, that all the Spider-Men were going to be in the movie. People were clamoring over each other and saying, I got the scoop first. I got the scoop first. It really was this sort of internet media feeding frenzy to crack just what was going on with the Spider-Man movie. By December of 2020, even more mainstream entertainment outlets like Collider were reporting that it was going to happen albeit also with false rumors that Kirsten Dunst would be returning for the film as well. And the prospect of a live-action Spider-Man team-up really seemed to be gaining a lot of traction and a lot of interest, not just in the movie space, but also now in the mainstream media, which led to things like poor Andrew Garfield's famous I'm not the werewolf interview. I feel like I'm in a game of f***ing werewolf or mafia where I'm like, I'm not the werewolf. I promise you I am not the werewolf. And everyone's like, you're the werewolf. Now the speculation around this, I think ultimately benefited Spider-Man No Way Home because it drove a lot of excitement and interest, a huge opening weekend, a huge box office performance, both domestically and internationally. But I think it also kind of brought out the worst in the sense that everybody was doing everything that they could to find this information, to publish this information. All of this was driven by the interest of the people that want to know everything going into a movie. They want to know all the scoops all the gossip and feeding that beast can also be very lucrative. It can generate clicks and subscribers and views and everything else. And that's what really pushes the media into doing just about everything they're doing inside and outside of the entertainment world. In addition to potentially spoiling some surprises, I think the other thing that can be a little bit destructive about this scoop mania is that the information is as likely to be incorrect as it is to be correct. Maybe it was bad information from insiders. Maybe things changed at some point in production, maybe somebody just made it up. We don't really ever know. The underlying point is that people who market and scoops operate on a very simple system, which is to push out exclusive insider information that will get a lot of traction when it's announced, loudly claim the information that turns out to be accurate, and then hope that people forget all the stuff that turns out to be wrong. The problem with this kind of arms race when it comes to scoops and insider information is that it is also beginning to affect how the projects themselves are received by fans. And there's no greater example of this than Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which was the center of an immense amount of scoopage, including various exclusive revelations that Tom Cruise would appear as Iron Man or that Ryan Reynolds would be in the movie as Deadpool. And then when the movie came out, and fans didn't get the things that had been reported or rumored to be in the film, many of them blamed the film for not delivering, saying that they had been promised things that weren't in the film, when the fact of the matter is that it was all based on unconfirmed, quote-unquote, inside information that the studio never generated and that people just expected because somebody on the internet told them it would be in the movie. The same goes for Henry Cavill, whose return as Superman was rumored to be part of Warner Brothers' Comic-Con lineup last year, and when it didn't happen, fans got angry not only at the people who generated those rumors, but also at Warner Brothers DC and Henry Cavill himself. 
But at the heart of all of this still, or at least 95% of it, has been the germ of the original concept, which is that there is some work done, it would seem, unless, like I said, there's some stuff that's just been completely fabricated from some of these outlets to find those insiders, to find those people with information. Even if that information turns out to be inaccurate, there's still some legwork done to get that information to begin with. But I saw something this weekend that really bothered me, and I think it takes this whole process a step too far. And it was a tweet that was put out by the industry trade The Wrap, which covers a lot of entertainment news. And it was, there's no two ways about it, a massive spoiler for this week's Fast X, which was reported in all caps as an exclusive piece of information. Now, I'm not going to share what that information is. It's out there all over the internet, but it cuts to the heart of how low I think the scoop game has gone. This wasn't something that was scooped months or even weeks before the movie premiered. It came out a little more than one week before the film made its debut everywhere. And it's kind of unclear where this information came from. I mean, you don't really have to say when you're doing these kinds of scoops. If this spoiler has always been present in the film, then it was probably seen by critics well over a week ago and also by people who attended the premiere in Rome, which was happening literally at the same time as this big spoiler was tweeted by the rap. So it's very possible that the exclusive scoop that the rap got was really just information from people that had already seen the movie early telling them about this big thing that happens in the movie, which would honestly be like me going to see Spider-Man No Way Home at a critic screening and then tweeting out that I had exclusive confirmation that Tobey Maguire was returning as Spider-Man. Well, no, not exactly. I just saw the movie before you did and decided to spoil it for clout. There's a difference there. Now, even if this big spoiler wasn't present in the version of the movies that the critics and the people at the premiere saw and that this was run down using studio sources, it was still published without a spoiler warning, without any option for a fan of the film, for a fan of the Fast franchise to click away from it before seeing it. And I think that that is also really just dirty pool. Now, this is where it gets a little bit dicey, but it's also where this all kind of ties into Scoops McGee and my own critique of the movie Scoop World. The writer who posted the Fast X scoop is Umberto Gonzalez, who has a huge reputation in the entertainment media industry as a scooper. He goes out there, he gets exclusive info. He used to post under the name El Mayimbe for Latino Review and then for Heroic Hollywood. He now writes for The Rap, and he has indeed scooped exclusive information many times over. And I have cited his work before on Charts with Dan and other things. For example, he helped to break the story about The Rock and Black Adam and all of that drama behind the scenes at Warner Brothers. So I want to make it very clear... I'm not saying that Humberto Gonzalez in any way uh, is somebody who doesn't know what he's talking about or, or is not entrenched in the Hollywood media industry. He is a very hard worker. He has broken a lot of stories in the past, but he's also broken a lot of stories that weren't true. For example, back in 2015, Grantland ran an extensive profile on Humberto that was talking about his rundown of Colin Trevorrow as the director of Star Wars Episode Nine, which is news that he broke, and it was accurate news until Trevorrow 
Gonzalez replaced, that was a big story to break. But then a few months later in 2015, Gonzalez ran another story that was targeted as a massive exclusive and a huge scoop regarding Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and the parentage of Peter Quill. And this was the direct quote from that story. Quote, it was a lot of fun and informative to read all the speculation pieces by other outlets. For a story of this magnitude, I took my time and gathered as many sources as I possibly could on this one. I got a total of four. They were tasked with one objective, get me a name. Nothing else, no specifics, no details, just a name. What are the chances that four individuals who don't know each other getting such a crucial piece of information wrong? The chances are highly unlikely. I was warned that this would be heavily denied, so if Marvel comes out swinging, don't buy it. It's expected. After all, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is still two years out, and the identity of Peter Quill's father is a massive mystery. Again, what are the chances of four different sources being wrong? So without further ado, Peter Quill's father is Marvel, the Captain Marvel of the Silver Age of Comics. We know now that this information is not accurate. Peter's father was Ego, played by Kurt Russell, and it's not just something that we had to wait until the movie came out to be disconfirmed. It was actually something that James Gunn came out specifically and denied. He wrote a long Facebook post saying, I'm not going to keep denying all of these Guardians 2 rumors because at some point some of them are going to be true, but at the same time, this speculation is absolutely wrong. And after a Twitter back and forth between James Gunn and Umberto Gonzalez, where Gonzalez actually challenged Gunn on his denial. Heroic Hollywood, which is the outlet that Gonzalez wrote the story for, put out a social media post apologizing and saying that the information was, in fact, inaccurate. Now, I'm not bringing this up to embarrass Umberto Gonzalez. I'm only bringing it up to say that even the most seasoned scoopster out there who has multiple sources claiming to have inside information can be wrong about something. And you would hope that maybe there would be a little bit of caution in the future to sharing that kind of information. But as things have gone on, it seems that the scoop world has only gotten more emboldened to share this information to the point where you're not even sharing a scoop anymore. I think this Fast X thing is just a flat out spoiler. I think it is 100% a spoiler for the movie. I don't think you could in any good conscience actually categorize it as any kind of scoop, and I think it is an egregious misuse of the kind of information that trade outlets have to advance information about movies, films, etc. There's been stuff that I've learned about movies that are coming out or movies that I see early that, yeah, you know, if I went out and tweeted about it, I could get a lot of followers, I could get a lot of likes, I could get, you know, attributed in a bunch of news stories, but I don't want to do that because it would spoil the experience for other people. Now, I'm not saying that everybody has to think like I do, but at the same time, I do think that there should be some consideration paid to the experience that a fan has with a movie and the ethics or the decision to spoil part of that experience. And that's what I believe was done here with Fast X. And so in the shadow of this gradual, what I think is a bit of a lowering of standards, we come to my own personal revelation or my own scoop, if you will, regarding this character of Scoops McGee, which I created all those years ago for Screen Junkies. While the Scoops persona 
was based on an old timey 40s news reporter. The actual kernel of the idea came from a game that I played on the same show a couple of weeks earlier. And the game was basically, uh, I went and found some of the most outrageous uh, scoops or exclusive insider info that had been published about things like Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and other movies. And then I made a few up myself and I challenged uh, the folks I was on the show with to guess which ones were actually reported as news and which ones did I just make up. And in the process of doing that, I realized that almost every single one of the crazy untrue stories that I'd written came from the same source. And from that came the kernel of an idea of doing a character that is a reporter who traffics in just wildly inaccurate movie information. And I can reveal here for the first time, I think there are literally maybe three other people or four that know this that the source of those crazy news stories that I pulled those many years ago and the source of the idea of somebody who trafficked in crazy movie scoops that a lot of times weren't true, it was Umberto Gonzalez or El Mayimbe or whatever persona it was at the time. And again, it wasn't to make fun of him. It was really just kind of a commentary on the idea that here's this guy who at the time and still has a really prominent reputation in Hollywood for breaking news stories and has broken a lot of news stories and yet at the same time has also broken some of the most crazy, wildly inaccurate stuff about movies that you've ever heard. And it was leaning into that super crazy inaccurate side that birthed Scoops McGee. And the intention here isn't to be uh, some kind of a personal attack. It was just a very weird bit of synergy that, you know, the Scoops character was this sort of comedic take on how far Scoop culture had gone. And then the inspiration for that character many years later would take it even a step further to what I think goes beyond being a scoop and just kind of spoiling a plot detail. And it just goes to show the escalation, even for the people at the top of the game. Because I think if you're going to talk to people in the industry to say, who is out there actually scooping a lot of stories and getting a lot of stories right? Umberto would be pretty close to the top of that list. And yet even still... You have to go that far to get a leg up on the competition, to share that sort of information that close to the release of a movie, because that's just where we are right now. And so I'll say what I think I've said many times before, which is that I think that anything that is reported by a leaker or a scooper should be taken with a massive grain of salt, because yes, it very well may be true, but it's also very likely that it's not true and not necessarily intentionally a lie, but something that just isn't going to pan out. I don't fault Umberto and other scoopers for sometimes being wrong on information because that happens, but I do fault this move of spoiling Fast X for people because I don't think it in any way qualifies as a scoop. And perhaps for that reason, I decided to pick this moment to reveal the origins behind this character because in many ways, it's a scoop of its own about one of the big scoopers in Hollywood. So, you know, I guess stop the presses, but nobody really cares. And what does it matter to Umberto? It doesn't because he's going to go and he's going to keep scooping news and a lot of it's going to turn out to be true. And I'm going to be here, you know, in my bedroom doing what I do. So this is just the way that things work. But I really do hope that we can reverse this trend of using spoilers as scoops. Because I think even Scoops McGee, who had the lowest standards in the business, wouldn't agree with that. Yeah. At least I don't think he would. Actually, he might.
There's much more to come, including a strike update in our first Ask Dan segment. But before we get to that, I want to take a moment to thank this week's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the makers of AG1. You know, it's summer, which means vacation season, lawn mowing, days at the pool, and it's more important than ever to make sure that you're giving your body what it needs. I take AG1 every day when I make my breakfast shake, and it makes me feel like I'm covering my nutritional bases and just starting my day off right. The biggest thing it's been helping me with is improved digestion and gut health, but it's also good to know that I'm giving my body what it needs to get through the day. AG1 is one scoop of powder mixed with water once a day, making it easy to live your best life. And every scoop is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that's delivered to me every month. So it's super easy to keep it a daily habit. Athletic Greens is also a climate neutral certified company. And for every purchase, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry right here in the U.S. If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash Dan. That's athleticgreens.com slash Dan. Check it out. This week's episode is brought to you by Babbel. You know, the summer movie season is underway and the summer travel season will be kicking off soon. Whether you're an experienced traveler or traveling abroad for the first time, communication is key to fully experiencing a new culture. Well, that's where Babbel comes in. Babbel is the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions and the lessons are so fun, quick, and easy to manage that you still have time to learn before you leave. Babbel's expertly crafted lessons are built around real life and you learn how to have practical everyday conversations. And unlike other language learning apps that use AI for their lesson plans, Babbel lessons were created by over 150 language experts. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, and in addition to lessons, you can also access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Start your language learning today with Babbel. Right now, you can get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash dan. That's babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash dan, D-A-N, for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. All right, so we got our big spoiler story out of the way. Let's move on to a couple of other things before we wrap up. First and foremost, a quick update on the writer's strike, which is now dragging on well into its second week, I believe approaching its third week. And we've seen a lot of production disruptions over the past couple weeks. The Penguin Show starring Colin Farrell had to stop production for the day due to picket lines. Daredevil Born Again also had to halt production due to picket lines. And it's been reported that production on The Mandalorian season four may well be delayed due to the writer's strike. This is in addition to a delay on production for things like the final season of Stranger Things. Now, the thing that The Penguin Show and Daredevil Born Again and reportedly even The Mandalorian Season 4 have in common is that the scripts are already written, but when picketers show up, when you have a picket line, and we discussed this in the original Writers Guild episode, one thing that all union members will likely not do is to cross a picket line of any striking union, which means things like Teamsters, and Ayatsi and even actors, uh, some directors, etc., will not physically cross the picket line to go to work, which does essentially shut down production. It's basically union solidarity. If one union is on strike, then all the other unions will refuse to work, which adds to the pressure that the striking union can put on management. It really seems like this union solidarity is adding to what I think feels like a much more disruptive strike so far than what we saw 15 years ago for the last writer's strike. And I think it's largely because 
because last time when the writers were striking, a lot of written projects were still in production. It's just that you couldn't go into production on a movie or a show that hadn't been written yet, or you were going into production on an early version of the script, like we saw with Quantum of Solace. Here we have shows that have completed scripts that are still facing production disruptions because of people that are refusing to cross picket lines. And I think that this is an escalation in the stakes from what we saw, and it may be because of things like AI and some very important issues that the writers really want to put pressure on the studios as far as finding that deal and forcing them to give up those concessions that the writers are asking for. Tony Gilroy, for example, who is the showrunner for Andor, was initially going to perform some non-writing producer duties, but after a lot of pressure on social media and after a group meeting of the Writers Guild, Gilroy decided that he was bowing out completely from all duties regarding Andor, which means that the show is reportedly going to continue production, but without Gilroy's involvement. And the question becomes, how long should the show continue to remain in production without any input at all from its showrunner. It really does seem like the two sides are digging in for a very long, bitter, and costly labor dispute, and we're already seeing some of those results going forward into the months ahead. For example, ABC revealed their fall lineup just yesterday, and it seems to be what many are calling strike-proof because of 22 weekly primetime hours only four are devoted to anything that is actually scripted. There's an hour of reruns of Abbott Elementary one night, and then there's Wonderful World of Disney on Sunday nights, which is basically a movie that they can run. Other than that, it is all reality TV. So we do appear to still be very much in the early stages of this writer's strike, but things are not turning out to be posturing like it seemed like there often was back in 2007. It really does seem like both sides here are taking this very seriously, and the longer this goes on, the more disruptive, the more expensive it becomes, and ultimately the more destructive it becomes. The question is here, who's going to blink first? All right, so before we go, the last time we did the Monday show, we had the Rider Strike special a couple weeks ago, uh, but the last time we did the Monday show, I invited you to ask me some questions with the hashtag AskDan. I will invite you to do that as well because we had so many questions submitted last time. So let me answer a few of them for you right here. The first question comes from Arun Krishnamurthy, who says, this should be a weekly feature. It fills the gaps left by not having SJU anymore. Will you consider having guests on the show to react to news with you. I certainly would. The big thing with me is that I film at all hours of the night. Like right now, it's like 3.30 in the morning because that's just how my schedule often works. So I would have to adjust my production schedule a little bit uh, to get people to kind of come in and do the show with me. But yeah, I would definitely be open to that. And I have a lot of friends that uh, I would love to chat the news with. This is a question that actually came from a few different people, including Dave Arroyo, Kay Sivakumar, and Pakal Tews, who said, will you ever bring back all My Movies, which if you don't know, um, All My Movies was a kind of hybrid video audio podcast I did where I would take a, a movie off my shelf and do a deep dive into that movie, the production of it. Uh, sometimes I would do an interview, etc., about it. It's a show that I loved very much. I, I really, really, really loved making that show. I was proud of the end result. The fact of the matter is, and it's kind of sad, I could not justify putting the same amount of time into that show every week as I was because I just wasn't getting the viewership. I gave it a real shot over a year and it really did take a toll on my schedule. I mean, it was a huge part. I probably spent more time on that show than I did on anything else. And the viewers just didn't turn up in the numbers that I needed 
them to in order to justify that time. And I wasn't interested in a version of that show that I put less time into because I think that that was the value of it, was going as deep as I did and doing the research and watching the movies and the special features and all this, finding all the internet stuff. And the that's what I liked about the show. So sadly, I would, I would still be doing all my movies probably to this day if there had been more audience interest. But there is a certain point at which you just have to face the reality of it. And the reality was, just not enough people watching. So no, no plans to revive all my movies, but I do appreciate the people that watched it and enjoyed it because uh, I enjoyed making it. This is another similar kind of question from a few different people. Andrew Tormanen says, you mentioned in your review of the first episodes of Marvel What If that you're going to do a full review of the series once it finished, but I don't think you ever did. Why didn't you do that review? Uh, Paris and Philip Randezzo both said, we never got to hear your thoughts on the Rings of Power. I had a lot of thoughts around the show. Bobby said, did you like this latest season of The Mandalorian? Are you going to post a review of it? And Jason Bueno said, where's the Last of Us review? Um, Yes, I, I think I did at some point say that I was going to do all of those. Those things, but I have found that when I sit down to do a review of a season of TV, unless I have like a really strong feeling about it, like Picard season two, for example, and I think season three coming up, I had very strong feelings about it. I had a, a, a strong perspective. I knew what I wanted to say. It was a very deep thing for me. Honestly, for a couple of those shows, for example, The Rings of Power, I thought was just aggressively mediocre. Like, you know, the first couple episodes, I really wasn't feeling it. And then it kind of picked up in the middle of the season. Uh, but like, it, it's it's just so bland and really didn't inspire any kind of strong feeling for me. And I sat down a couple times and I was like, all right, time to write up the Rings of Power review. And it was so uninspiring to me either way that it was hard for me to sit down and just, you know, try to write up this whole review for it. Because, you know, I don't do what a lot of other channels do. It's like, I'm not going to amplify my negative feelings about it or scream and yell about it, even though it would do really well on the channel, because that's just not what it inspired in me. And, and I mean, I think that that's kind of damning uh, as it is, the fact that it was just so bland and uninteresting to me that I really didn't have any feelings towards it at all. Like, it's just, it's it was like wallpaper. It was like streaming wallpaper. I felt a little bit the same way about The Mandalorian, the latest season of The Mandalorian. Um, it had some high highs for me, but it was so unfocused. It kind of reminded me a little bit about, of Book of Boba Fett, where it was just hopping from thing to thing to thing to thing. To, and then you get to the end of the season and you're like, what? Do you, what? The only thing that I really hated was the episode, the kind of murder mystery episode where they had all the guest stars and stuff. It just kind of felt like filler. It didn't really do anything for me. Uh, the weird kind of sidetrack to Andor world was a little odd. So yeah, Mandalorian season four was another one where it's just like, eh, but I didn't have any huge strong feelings about it. What if season one I enjoyed and then The Last of Us I really enjoyed, but again, it, it's really hard to sit down and write you know, a season-long review that's basically like, I really liked it. I thought it was really good. I thought this was really good, and this actor was great, and also these actors were great. It, that's not an interesting video to me. What I really enjoy doing is things like the Picard review, where I can sit down and break down these specific elements, and what I like about this, and what I didn't like about this, and how it ties into Star Trek, because I love Star Trek, and so it's like, this is what I love about this, and pulling in this reference from this episode, that's what I love to do, and so I think that that's probably what I'm going to do in the future, uh, as far as season long reviews and you know maybe I need to go to more weekly type stuff for some of these other shows because they're very popular and I know that I give up a lot of engagement and views by not doing them weekly because I think I'm going to do season long reviews 
uh, but I end up not doing those either. So I have to kind of revisit what I do on TV because I'm still trying to figure out the best way for me to do each of those series. Bruce says, is there ever going to be another Three Friends episode on the YouTube or podcast channel? That was such a fun conversation. As someone who watched all of you over doing movie fights or predicting Oscars or whatever for years, I'd love to see more like that. Uh, in case you don't know, Three Friends was me, Joe Starr, and Spencer Gilbert. It was a podcast audio exclusive, at least the first one was. We just kind of got together and hung out and had a kind of a loose structure. Uh, yes, there has been a talk of doing another Three Friends. The problem is that we have to get all of our schedules in line. Uh, my schedule is an absolute nightmare. Um, you know, Spencer is a man of mystery. Uh, Joe is the glue that's that's utterly trying to hold us all together. It's, it's kind of exactly how we work together at Screen Junkies. But yes, I think we are going to get together to do them, um, just probably not very frequently. But yeah, we had a great time doing it. And I, I would be shocked if we didn't do another one. Uh, Robert says, I've been following you forever. Huge fan. What are your tips for getting into film critique? Well, my biggest tip would be find your voice. Uh, there are 10 million now YouTube channels out there reviewing movies, so it's not enough to just review movies. You have to re review movies in a way that is unique to you. Uh, find what, you know, when I say your hook, I don't mean a gimmick. I mean, I think your biggest hook is your own perspective and, and believing in that and committing to that. And, you know, don't say what you think people want to hear. Um, or don't say what you think is going to get the most clicks necessarily. I think it's to be honest and authentic to yourself because, you know, kind of following the crowd, it's going to get you a lot of clicks and engagement. And if that's what you want, that's fine. If you just want clicks and engagement, then it's very easy to figure out what to say or do. Just look at the top trending videos and the tone and tenor of them. If you actually want to get into film critique, it's all about uh, developing your voice and, and your own specific way of looking at the world and then figuring out how to best share that with everybody. And I'm still working on that. It's something that I'm still perfecting and I've been doing this for years and years and years. And the final question is from Sunshine who says, can I get paid to watch movies and TV series all day in India? Hashtag dream job. Well, let me tell you, um, it is a dream job for me. Absolutely, because I'm doing what I've always wanted to do. I get to, since I started the channel, kind of call my own shots and review what I want to. And if I, if I want to make an hour-long video about Star Trek Picard Season 2, I can. Um, but there's also, a lot of people have said this to me, um, and I think it's a big misconception, the idea of like, oh, I'd love to get paid to just watch movies and TV all day. That is maybe 20% of the job. And that might be being a little bit generous. I think what people don't understand is that, you know, it's not like I watch a movie and then a video just appears magically on the channel. 80% of what I do uh, is writing, is editing, um, is, you know, taking notes and organizing my notes, uh, shooting, obviously. I, I shoot for much longer than you see here on the channel because I cut things out, I edit and everything else. Any YouTube channel out there that you see, what you see basically on screen the part that you see is like 10% of running a YouTube channel. And everybody says like, oh, I want to get paid to do that. I want to get paid to just watch movies and TV. It is, there's so much more involved than that. It's, you know, that's when the job starts. If you want to get paid to, to do it, again, like I was saying, start developing your voice and, and start putting stuff out there. But just know that this is not an easy job. It is a dream job, but it's not an easy job. I put more hours into this job than I've put into any job that I've ever done. There is no vacation time. If I want to go on vacation, I either have to not put videos out for the channel, which is bad for the channel, or I have to work twice as hard 
to pre-shoot videos that go up on the channel, or I have to work during my vacation. If I get sick, like I did a couple weeks ago, I was sick for four days out of nowhere. No idea what it was. It wasn't COVID. It wasn't the flu. Those four days are what I call $0 days. I'm not making anything. I'm not putting out anything. I'm getting behind. There's no calling in sick or having somebody cover for you or getting paid, you know, taking a sick day. That doesn't exist when you're running your own channel. So I will say if you want to do this, it takes a lot of hard work to establish and it takes a, hard, a lot of hard work to keep going and it's incredibly rewarding, but it, it's way more complex than just getting paid to watch movies and TV all the time uh, because you know that's the beginning and then comes everything else. Thank you to everybody for submitting their questions for the first Ask Dan. Again, please make sure to submit more questions with the hashtag Ask Dan down in the comments below, and perhaps we'll pick it for the next show. And thank you to everybody for sticking around for the Scoops McGee origin story, for the strike update, and all the other stuff here on the channel. Be sure to stay tuned. Tomorrow, probably late in the afternoon or in the evening, I will have my Fast X review because I'm going to the first screening on uh, Thursday afternoon. I won't just spoil the movie without telling you. I'll give you that promise. And then stay tuned throughout the weekend uh, for other stuff. I think we're going to try to do a streaming charts this weekend uh, and then anything else that might pop up. And then as always here on the channel, box office, movie news, reviews, all the stuff that you like. Thank you so much for spending part of your day here with me. Until next time, stay safe and I'll see you then. Bye.